today. Uh, some of you may know I was actually in Minnesota last week, and uh, it was a great trip, but it's really good to be back here and to be able to worship with all of you here this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open up with me to the book of James. Uh, we're continuing, as Director Paul just prayed, uh, through our series uh, through the book of James entitled Living Faith, and today our passage comes from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. So again, if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn there with me. Otherwise, we'll also project the verses on the screens in front of you. But if I can kindly ask everyone, if you're able, to please stand for the reading of God's word as we show our act of worship and reverence towards him through this. And let me read this for us. This is the word of the Lord. James chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able also to brittle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Well, a few weeks ago, some of you may know this, but I decided just kind of out of the blue to entirely stop drinking coffee altogether. I went from drinking one, at least one cup of coffee a day to just out of the blue, just stopping cold turkey. And for those of you who are coffee drinkers like me, or like I used to be, I guess, you'll probably imagine that I experienced some pretty bad caffeine withdrawal after I stopped drinking coffee. I had massive headaches for almost a week, and I was just really tired every single day. And so because of that, I decided to set up an appointment for my annual checkout with my doctor. And when I was at my doctor's appointment, you know, aside from you know, checking my eyes, looking into my ears, hitting my knee with a rubber mallet, one of the things that the doctor did was he asked me to stick out my tongue that he could examine it with this flashlight or this microscope or whatever it was in his hand. And friends, I'm not a doctor, but I'm pretty sure that the reason that doctors do this, you know, when you're at the doctor, they ask you to stick out your tongue so they can check it, is to see if you have any underlying health conditions. If there's any evidence on your tongue to see that there's a problem or there's some sort of disease that you have somewhere else in your body. Now friends, if that's true of our physical health when you go to the doctor, that your tongue, it can reveal underlying conditions that you may have in your body, and friends, what James said in the passage that we just read here is that the same is actually true when it comes to our spiritual health. See, friends, when we examine our tongues, the words that you and I speak, how we speak those words to people around us, well, friends, James says it reveals something about our underlying condition. It reveals something about our spiritual health. Now, friends, just to remind us where we are in the book of James so far, two weeks ago we looked at the end of James chapter 2, and for those of you who are here, you remember that at the end of James chapter 2, that was essentially the heart of the entire letter of James, where James explained to us how these two things, these two principles of faith and works, how they always go together, how they work together. How if you have a genuine, living, saving faith, how it's going to change the way that you live. And friends, 
in the rest of this letter, in chapters 3 through 5 of the book of James, what James does is he's going to flesh out how those two things, how faith and works, how they impact different facets of everyday life. For example, James will go on to talk about how our faith changes the way that you and I look at our money, how faith affects the way that you and I approach suffering, how faith affects that you and I look at our futures and do things like prayer. But in the beginning of chapter 3, what James does in the second portion of his letter is he begins by talking about our speech, the words that you and I use every day, the words that you and I say to each other every day. And friends, the, answer, the question that James is answering in this passage here that we just read is, how should a true, genuine, living faith, if you have it in your life, how should that change and impact the way that you speak to other people around you, to the way that you speak to your family, to the way that you speak to people even in this room here today? And so, friends, as we consider this passage here together, there are three things that James teaches us here about our words, about our speech that I want us to look at. First, James will show us the power of our words. Secondly, James will reveal to us the problem with our words, the problem that we have with our words. And lastly, James will show us how our words can change, how we can begin to change our speech as believers. And so, again, the three things that we'll look at here in this passage here is first, the power of our words. Secondly, the problem with our words. And lastly, how our words can begin to change. So let's begin with the first point. James opens this passage by explaining to us just how powerful the words that that you and I use every day, how how powerful they are. And the way that James does this is he uses two illustrations or metaphors in the natural world. First, in verse 3, James says, consider the way that people ride and control horses. Now, brothers and sisters, I have a confession to make. I've told some of you this before, but I'm actually really, I'm afraid of horses. It's actually one of the animals that I'm really frightened of, actually. And I'll admit that because one of the reasons I'm so afraid of horses, you know, when I go to the OC fair and you just stand next to those huge stallions is because they're just really big. They're, they're massive, they're tall. I'm only like 5'8". I'm not that tall. They're scary. And if I, I feel as if I'm going to stand next to it or even get on one, that it could just severely injure me or hurt me at any moment. I'm afraid of horses. But friends, the point that James is making here in this passage is that even though horses are such massive and strong beasts and creatures, the thing that actually controls the horse is just this small piece of metal that goes in the horse's mouth called a bit. And see, once you put that small piece of metal into the horse's mouth, you can actually control and manipulate and guide that horse just simply by tugging reins, by pulling on that bit. And friends, James's point is that, in other words, the effect that bits have on the mouths of horses and on the horse, it's disproportionate to the size of what it actually is. In other words, friends, even though the bits are so small, they're able, they're able to influence and control and change things that are much bigger than them. That's what James is saying here. Now, friends, he continues this argument in verse 4 by giving us another example. And in verse 4, James says, the same thing is true with ships and their rudders. Now, for any of you who have seen a big cruise ship or if you've gone sailing or anything before, you, you know that rudders are pretty small. But even though rudders are small, they're able to control, maneuver, and guide ships that are hundreds, sometimes even thousands of times larger than they are. And friends, again, James's point here is that for something so small, rudders have a lot of power. And friends, all this leads James to his conclusion in the beginning of verse 5. If you read verse 5 again with me, James writes, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And friends, James's point here, it could not be more simple and clear. I hope, if anything, this will be one of the most straightforward and clear sermons you've ever heard from the pulpit. Friends, James's point is simply that even though our tongues are small, friends, our words, they hold so much weight in our lives. Our words are powerful. And friends, the thing is, we don't even have to read the Bible or be Christians to know that this is true because Friends, I'm sure many of us here today, you can think back or remember a time in your life that was difficult. You know, maybe it was a time where you felt like giving up. 
It might have been a time where you felt like no one in the world cared about you or was considering you or thought about you, and yet someone's words, the words that someone spoke to you, what gave you hope. It was a time when maybe a teacher, a coach, a pastor, a family member, a friend, their words that they spoke to you were the difference between you giving up and you persevering. Their words to you were the difference between you feeling neglected or feeling cared for. Their words to you were the difference between depression and feeling hope. But friends, the point is, just like bits and rudders have the ability to influence and to guide horses and ships, James is saying that words have just as much ability to influence the trajectory and the course of our lives. Now friends, not only do our words have that kind of power to influence and to guide our lives, but friends, our words also have, on the flip side, the potential to do a lot of damage. And that's exactly what James says at the end of verse 5, where he, he introduces this third illustration, and James says at the end of verse 5, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Now, friends, living in Southern California, as many of us are living in Southern California, most of you know that it does not take a lot to start a massive wildfire. You know, just one small cigarette bud thrown in a forest, one really hot, dry, sunny day in the desert, one gender reveal party gone wrong in the canyons. It can burn thousands and thousands and thousands of acres. And friends, what James is saying here is that in the same way, just like a small spark can destroy an entire forest, friends, our words and our tongues, they have the ability to create and cause lots of chaos and destruction, not just in our lives, but in the lives of other people. And friends, again, you don't need to be an expert in the Bible to know this, because friends, I'm sure many of us here today, it won't take you a long time to think back on a time or situation where you were scarred or you were really hurt or traumatized by someone else's words, by harsh or hurtful words that were spoken to you by a loved one maybe in the past. And friends, the thing is, those words, they still might be affecting you even to this day, and you might not even realize it. Friends, maybe it was a harsh criticism or disappointment that your parents spoke to you or an in-law spoke to you. Maybe it was gossip or false information that you heard someone else in the church or in your life spreading about you and you found out about it. Maybe it was something as simple as just words of rejection from someone you really cared about. But friends, whatever the case, those words stuck with you, they hurt you, and they still might be affecting you to this day because, friends, that is the power that our words have. You know, as many of us know, that old nursery rhyme goes that we tell our children or kids, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. They'll never hurt me. Friends, as catchy as that may sound and as easy as it is to teach kids, it's actually very unbiblical. Because, friends, what James says in this passage is that, friends, words have the power to either help or harm us in a way that nothing else in this world does. That's the power of words. Now, brothers and sisters, if you notice, all James is doing in this passage is he's actually just reiterating and restating what the Old Testament says about our tongues and about our words. Now, for example, if you read Proverbs 18, verse 21 with me, in the Old Testament, in Proverbs 18 and 21, it says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Now, friends, according to Proverbs, according to this verse, your words what you say to other people in your family, your friends, people at church, your words have the power to either give life to other people or promote death in their lives. That's the power of words. Now, Paul Tripp, in an article entitled The Power of Words, he comments on this verse, and he makes this helpful point, and he says this, and I quote, Our words are not only powerful, but our words also always move in a direction. Either they're moving towards life or towards death. Everything you say aims somewhere on the life-death continuum. Words of kindness and love move one way. 
words of selfishness and anger move the other. And so, friends, whether you realize it or not here today, speech is something that many of us don't even think about. We just do it naturally, instinctively. Friends, whether you realize it or not here today, friends, your words are very powerful. And friends, your words are always moving in a direction. And so, brothers and sisters, the question for all of us here this morning is, as you think about your own life, what direction have your words been moving in recently? Have your words been moving towards life, towards other people around you, or in the conversations, the words that you speak, have your words been moving towards death? And this brings us to our second point, the problem with our words. In the rest of this passage, James goes on to basically explain two main issues or problems that you and I have with our tongues and with our speech. And the first problem, James says, is that our tongues are uncontrollable. And again, the way that James illustrates this or shows us this is, again, by giving us two illustrations from the natural world. First, in verse 6, James compares our tongues to this blazing fire, this fire that burns everything in its path, this fire that can't be contained, this fire that he said is set on fire by hell. And then if you read verses 7 through 8 again with me, James gives us an illustration from the animal kingdom this time. And in verses 7 through 8, James says this, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And again, brothers and sisters, the point that James is making here, it's very clear and it's very simple. You know, given enough time, given the right environment, the right resources and techniques, Human beings seem to basically be able to train almost any animal to do any task. You know, for those of you who have ever gone to the circus and you've seen you know, tigers or lions there, for those of you who have ever gone to SeaWorld and you've seen dolphins or killer whale shows, you've probably seen animals that were trained by human beings do some amazing and some incredible things. Yet, friends, what James is saying here is that of all the things that human beings are able to tame and control in life, the wildest of animals, the one thing that you and I all demonstrate our inability to control is the tongues that are within our mouths. Friends, to put it another way, what James is saying is this. Friends, if it's true that our words are always moving in a direction, they're always either moving towards life or towards death, then friends, James says the problem is that you and I, for us, our tendency is always to move in the wrong direction. Friends, in other words, if controlling our tongues is to speak words of life to other people around us, and if losing control of our tongues is to speak words of deadly poison and evil, as James says, then James says our problem is that the tendency for us is to always move towards death rather than life. Now, friends, if you think about your own speech, your own life, if you don't agree with James on his assessment of your tongue or your speech, if you disagree with what James says here, friends, just think about it for a moment. How many of you here today would feel comfortable if right now, we just, on the screens in front of you, we played a public recording of every single thing you said this past week? We played that in the screens in front of you. Of every word, every conversation that you had with anyone this past week, we just played it in front of everyone. Those irritable words or the tone that you spoke with to a coworker or a family member. Maybe it was hurtful or angry words that you used in an argument with a friend or your parent or a child or sibling. That subtle, just passive aggressiveness that you used with maybe a coworker or someone even from church. Or the things and the people that you joked or you gossiped about with your friends. How many of you would feel comfortable right now if we were to just play a recording of all of that right now in front of everyone in this room. Brothers and sisters, I'm sure all of us would cringe even at the thought of that being a possibility of happening. Because I'm sure, friends, all of us had moments this past week where we said things that we might regret. And we said things, if right now, reflecting back on it, we said things that we wish we could take back. Friends, the reality and the truth is there is not one of us here today 
who's in control of our tongues. And friend, there's, there's not one of us here today who has the autonomous power to tame or to control our own tongues. And friends, that's the first problem that James says we have with our tongues and with our speech. Now friends, the second, thing that, the second problem that James says we have with our tongues is that our tongues reveal just how inconsistent you and I are, are as people. They reveal our inconsistency. If you read verses 9 through 10 again with me, James writes this in verses 9 through 10. He says, with it, that is the tongue, with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Now, brothers and sisters, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that James's words here, are, they're very piercing. Because, brothers and sisters, if you did not know already, pastors, we are some of the most inconsistent, hypocritical people that you can ever meet. Brothers and sisters, I can't tell you how many weeks or Sundays there have been where I have felt so inadequate to stand up here and preach the Word of God to you. It's not because I hadn't put enough hours in preparing or setting the passage or just prepping. But friends, most of the time it's because I just saw this huge disconnect between my preaching and my life. Now, for example, on Sundays during worship, I could be singing praises to God with tears in my eyes and with joy. I could be preaching about things like God's patience, His kindness, His love, and His grace, and His mercy. And it feels so genuine, and it feels so heartfelt. And a few moments later, after service ends, I could be saying a judgmental or a subtly critical comment about someone. I could be joining in or participating or promoting in gossip. I could be speaking irritable or harsh words to my family or people around me. With the same mouth that I, as a pastor, used to praise God and preach about his grace, I used to cut down people who are made in God's image, made in his likeness. And friends, what James, his response is to such blatant inconsistency and hypocrisy is, my brothers, these things ought not be so. This shouldn't be the case. And friends, to show us just how wrong the inconsistency of our hearts and our lives is, James, one last time, he turns to the natural world, and he gives us three final illustrations from the natural world in verses 11 through 12. And James writes in verses 11 through 12, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Friends, James's final point in these verses is this. That, friends, just like in the natural world, that a product or a fruit, it's always consistent with its source. Olive trees bear olives. Fig trees bear figs. James says that the same is true with the words that you and I speak. With the words that you and I speak, friends, they're also always consistent with their source. In other words, friends, the words that we speak, what they do is they reveal the heart that lies behind them. And friends, isn't this exactly what Jesus himself said in the Gospels? In Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 and 34, many of us remember these words of Jesus where he said, Either make the tree, and, tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now Sam Albury, on his, in his commentary, writing on these final verses, he writes this, and I quote, To praise God and then to speak against someone in his likeness shows what our hearts are truly like. We might sing of our love for him, but the reality is very different. Our other words show us what the truth is. The uncomfortable conclusion is that unchristian speech is evidence of an unchristian heart. And so, brothers and sisters, if that's true and if that's the case, 
and our tongues are not only out of our control, our ability to control and tame, but our tongues also reveal the deep-rooted inconsistencies of who we are as people in our hearts. But friends, the question is, what hope is there for us in changing our speech? And this brings us to our final point, how our words can change. Friends, if you notice, if you just scan this passage again, you'll notice that James spends a great deal talking about why our speech, why our words are such a big problem and such a big sin in our lives. But if you reread this passage, you'll notice that James actually provides us with no practical commands or exhortations for how we can actually control or tame our tongues. James doesn't give us any commands in this passage about how you can become a better communicator or change your speech. And friends, the reason for that is, is because, as James said already, already earlier, taming your tongue changing the way that you speak to people around you, it's not something that you can control. It's not something that you can do. In other words, friends, it's not just something that you can just modify as a behavior or change through effort or practice. Because, friends, at the end of the day, the problem is not with our words themselves, but the problem is with our hearts. Paul Tripp, again, in his article, The Power of Words, he talks about, which I referenced earlier, he talks about how our words can begin to change as Christians. And he says this, and he reminds us, friends, that Brothers and sisters, other people and circumstances, as difficult as they may be, they are never responsible for the words that come out of your mouth. Friends, difficult people in your life, difficult circumstances in your life, all they are and all they do is they just provide an occasion and an opportunity for what's really deep-rooted and seated in your heart to come out and be revealed by your words. Friends, in other words, because words come from your heart, because words are sourced in your heart and from your heart, you can't just solve your communication or your anger problems with better techniques. Friends, the reason that your words so often tend towards death and hatred and bitterness instead of life, it's not because you're not a good communicator, but it's actually the opposite. The reason that your words always tend towards death rather than life is because you're actually a great communicator, and you're great at revealing and communicating what exactly is in your heart to the people around you when you blow up, when you get frustrated, when you lash out at people, when you gossip. And so, friends, if that's true, how can our words begin to change as Christians? Well, friends, if we're going to learn how to speak words of life and grace rather than words of death to people, then, friends, the first thing that we need is we first need to have words of life spoken to personally and directly to us. Now, friends, I've shared this story uh, several years ago, but in 2007, a Greek short film came out. It was an international film that came out. And in this film, it depicts... Uh, this middle-aged son sitting on a, a park bench with his dad. And what happens in the film is the son is just sitting on the bench reading a newspaper, and his dad is sitting right next to him, just looking at nature, observing trees. And all of a sudden, the dad points to a bird that's sitting on the ground, and he asks his son, son, what is that? The son looks down from his newspaper, and he says, it's a sparrow, dad. And he picks his newspaper back up. A few moments later, the father nudges his son again and says, son, what is that thing on the ground? And his son, kind of irritated, kind of frustrated, says, Dad, I just told you, it's a sparrow. The father does this repeatedly over and over and over again a couple more times and keeps asking his son, what is that? What is that? What is that? And eventually, the final time he asks, the son erupts and explodes and he screams at his father, I told you, it's a sparrow. S-P-A-R-R-O-W. Do you not know how to spell? It's a sparrow. Why are you doing this to me, Dad? Why do you keep asking me the same question? And all of a sudden, the dad gets up from the park bench. He doesn't say a word. He walks into the home. And a few moments later, he comes out with a journal in his hand. And he hands the journal to his son, and he asks his son to read an entry from the journal. And the son reads it out loud, and this is what it says. Today, my youngest son, who a few days ago turned three, 
was sitting with me at the park when a sparrow sat in front of us. My son asked me 21 times in a row what it was. And I answered all 21 times in a row that it was a sparrow. I hugged him every single time he asked me the same question again and again without getting mad, feeling so much affection for my little boy. My friends, as the son read this, his eyes were welled up with tears. He turned to his father, and he just embraced and he hugged him. My friends, the reason I share this is it's because of this. Friends, if you want to become a person whose words are seasoned with life rather than death, if, if you want to become a person who controls their tongue and speaks words of life, then, friends, you need to first have your heart changed and transformed by words of life spoken to you through God and what he says in the gospel. Friends, when you are tempted to speak down upon someone, when you're tempted to slander someone subtly or gossip about someone, when you're tempted to vent your frustration and your anger, your irritation at someone, friends, to remember how in your own sin, how your Heavenly Father has spoken to you. To remember how in your own sin, your Heavenly Father continues to speak words to you of life and of grace and patience and forgiveness. Brothers and sisters, what the Bible teaches us is that Lasting and true change in the way that you and I communicate, it does not begin first with having our words and our vocabulary changed, but friends, it begins first with having the thoughts and the motives of our hearts changed by the words of life that God speaks to us. And friends, the only reason that if you're a believer and you've put your faith in Christ here today, the only reason that God has spoken words of life and of peace and grace to you is because, friends, on the cross, God spoke words of death and he spoke words of condemnation upon his son. Friends, in fact, on the cross, when Jesus was crying out to the Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, in the ultimate act of death and condemnation, he did not reply at all. He was silent. He abandoned his son. And why? Because, friends, on the cross, Jesus was representing us. And not only was he representing us, friends, but Jesus was bleeding and he was dying for our words. For every harsh criticism, for every word of gossip, or slander, for every word that was hurtful or manipulative that you and I have ever spoken to someone else, Jesus bled and died for those words, friends. He endured the suffering. He endured the silence, friends, so that you and I could have words of life and grace and peace spoken to us by the Father. And friends, those words, those are the only words that will be able to change, will be able to transform tongues and hearts like ours, tongues that are deeply, friends, uncontrollable, and hearts that are deeply inconsistent. And so, brothers and sisters, as we come to a close, I pray that as believers, as disciples of Jesus, that we would devote ourselves to listening to and to hearing the words that Jesus speaks to us in his word. Because, friends, the reality is the words that you and I hear, the words that you and I surround ourselves and are surrounded by every day, those are inevitably words that you and I will naturally pick up on. And the more you're around people that speak a certain way or they say certain phrases, friends, the more it's going to rub off on you. If you're around people who complain all the time, that's all they do, friends, the chances are you're going to start complaining a lot too. Now, middle schoolers and high schoolers here, if you're around friends or people that all they do is just curse and gossip, chances are you're going to do the same thing eventually. But friends, if you allow your heart and your ears daily to be filled with the words of grace, the words of life and peace and love that Christ speaks to you through his word. And friends, chances are over time that words of life will begin to flow from your heart and will begin to flow from your lips. Let's, 
the Apostle Paul exhorts us in Colossians 3.16. Brothers and sisters, here today, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, that your words may be rich and they may be seasoned with life and with grace. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Please bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word here today that challenges us, Father, to reflect upon, Lord, not just the words that we speak to the people around us, but, Lord, ultimately our hearts. And, Lord, as we reflect upon our speech, the words that we might have spoken to other people this past week, Lord, the words that we may have even spoken to people this day, this morning, the hurtful, the evil, the sinful, the bitter words, Lord, that we often speak to other people, Lord, we confess, Lord, that our tongues and our speech are in such need of grace, Lord, such need of transformation and change. Lord, thank you for reminding us here this morning that that change is not up to us, Lord, that it's not up to our ability to tame or control our tongues, Lord, but that you give us the grace, Lord, to be changed, to be transformed through hearing the words of life that Christ speaks to us in his gospel. And so, Lord, help us to keep our eyes and our ears, Lord, fixed upon those words, that, Lord, we may speak and share those same words of grace in life with the people that you place around us. We thank you and love you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.